Welcome to the Second Call Defense Podcast. I'm Dean Reek, and I'm joined by Sean Maloney, defense attorney and co-founder of Second Call Defense, the world's most comprehensive legal and financial protection for armed self-defense. What have you been up to lately? I've been busy uh, getting ready for my annual uh, Butler County Friends of the Shooting Sports Foundation banquet. I regularly have a banquet every year to raise money to support the local 4-H clubs, high schools that have trap and skeet teams and and other local clubs and organizations that teach gun safety and and get our youth into into the shooting sports. How long have you been doing that? Uh, Probably uh, 15 or 16 years now, I bet. Time flies when you're having fun. Now, that's sort of like, um, uh, you know, we've done the bash, the Buckeye mm-hmm. bash. Is it something like that? You know, banquet yeah. and raffles and. Yeah, we have, we'll have gun auctions, gun raffles, wall of guns. Not unlike the, uh, the Friends of the NRA banquets, which I ran for years. And this is sort of like that. It's, it's, it's closely ran like that. The only difference being is 100% of the money now is kept by our foundation for use locally and, and uh, statewide to support, uh, you know, our mission, which is gun safety and, and, and teaching our youth. Well, that's really interesting. Um, so where's that going to be held? It's uh, March 4th, starts at 530 in Receptions Banquet Center in Fairfield. Uh, and if anybody wants to Google Butler County Friends of Youth Shooting Sports, you can get more information or feel free to call me 513-484-0142 and I'll talk to you. Wow. So, giving, out your, giving out your phone number on the podcast. You're, it's, uh, it's, an, it's, an impo- it's an important mission. It's our future, Dean. People want to um, to get some more information about this. We also ran an article on our website and has uh, a lot of info on where it is, how you can sign up, and there's a sign-up sheet. And then you're running a, a special raffle in advance that uh, you you took a Henry rifle and I guess uh, made it a custom. Yeah, we customized a, a Henry Golden Golden Boy. And we have a rather well-known sheriff, uh, Richard K. Jones, who's been very active and is pro-gun sheriff. Uh, and actually, years ago, uh, started invoicing uh, uh, the federal government for all the illegal illegals he was housing in his prison. And so that's kind of how he got well known. And, he, and he's a colorful character. He's a great pro gun person. And so he commissioned a, a one of a kind gun and it was laser engraved. And uh, he's going to draw the winner at, at the banquet. So you can also buy those picket, tickets online uh, where you posted uh, the article. And it has several links, so you can buy tickets to the banquet, and then all the raffle tickets you want for the uh, the Henry Golden Boy. Yeah, those Henrys are really beautiful. They they look like uh, you ought to frame them instead of shoot them. I know that's that's one thing. I said I would never own a firearm that I wouldn't shoot, but I'd be hard pressed to to shoot a Golden Boy because they are pretty. So uh, again, if you want some information on that, we have an article on our website, and I think we had something in our newsletter as well. So um, I'm hoping a bunch of people show up and you can support the shooting sports in your area, Sean. That's uh, that's a really good cause. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate your help, Dean, also. Thank you very much. So, Sean, uh, what I wanted to talk about on this podcast uh, was a couple of legal things that have been in the news recently. The big one, of course, is the Remington settlement. This has just been all over the news. The media has been salivating about this story. And the way this is being presented is that Remington Arms has agreed to a $73 million settlement. And just to remind everyone, this is coming off of the Sandy Hook Elementary School murders that happened in Newtown, Connecticut about 10 years ago. It was, I think it was December 2012. 20 students died, six educators died, 
and I'm not going to name the kid who did it because I don't like to make killers famous. He had a Bushmaster, among other guns, which was actually his mother's uh, firearm. I think all the firearms belonged to his mother. Went into the school, killed a bunch of people, and then two years later there was a lawsuit brought by the families of the people in the school against Remington Arms, and I guess their contention was that the uh, firearms manufacturer, Remington, was responsible because uh, they were not promoting public safety. They were promoting profit over safety. At least that was their claim. Now, the thing I want to clear up here, because this is not clear in the stories, is that Remington is not actually agreeing to this settlement. The company that we know as Remington Arms does not actually exist anymore. They filed for bankruptcy in 2020, and all the assets were sold off. So, Remington still exists as a brand, but it's actually owned and operated by several different companies. What's actually happening, Sean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there were insurers, just, you know, every company has various kinds of insurance, and I'm, I'm assuming this is liability insurance, but there were four companies where they had insurance policies, and it's these insurance companies that have agreed to the $73 million payout because that was what it adds up to when when you look at the coverage that they had. So Remington has not admitted to guilt or any wrongdoing. They don't even exist anymore. And so the insurance companies are making the payout. So what do you think about all this, Sean? Well, you know, you're correct, Dean. Uh, I can remember when the lawsuit was first filed, and I remember probably two years ago when the Connecticut court decided that this suit could go forward based on uh, the theory of uh, unfair labor pra- or unfair trade practices with the advertising. And I can, I can probably pretty much guarantee you that if Remington Firearms was still in existence, this settlement never would have occurred. But now that they're gone and the insurance companies are standing around, they want it over with. And so they just pay out to whatever the max of the claim were and move on with their life. But if Remington was still there, they would have taken this to court and whatever decision would have been, then the United States Supreme Court could decide on it because this was brought up. Uh, the decision of, of the Connecticut courts was appealed to the United States Supreme Court, and they decided not to hear it because they wanted the lawsuit to go forward. Then after the lawsuit was over, it would be root, it would be ripe, so to speak, and then they would make their decision if they so chose to. Now, because there's a settlement and never went to trial, kind of the the uh, the Protection of Lawful Commerce Arms Act is a little bit in question, but uh, there's not going to be a, a, a lot more of these lawsuits out there because it was a it was a stretch, and the Connecticut court, I think, improperly ruled when they made their decision, but it, it's going to stand because uh, there's nobody left to appeal. So you mentioned the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. We should just explain this was a federal law passed back in 2005 under the Bush administration, and even back that far, there was this new strategy that was being discussed where, you know, okay, we can't get legislators to do what we want with gun control, so let's just sue gun manufacturers out of existence. And so they passed this law, Republicans did, to protect the gun manufacturers and saying, look, you can sue them just like you can sue car manufacturers or whatever if there's a defective product, but you can't sue a manufacturer for the illegal use of their product. So you can't sue Ford or Chevrolet if someone uses a car to run down a bunch of people and kill them. That's obviously not their fault. By the same token, you can't go to Remington or any other company and sue them because somebody decides to use the firearms 
to murder a bunch of people. So I think a lot of people always assume that you can, you were never going to be able to sue, and yet they found this, I'll call it a loophole in Connecticut, where they could get around this act. Well, and they tried, and they tried for years. They had uh, the attorneys for the families in Connecticut at Sandy Hook, uh, motion after motion, theory after theory was turned down and thrown out by the courts. And then somewhere, uh, somehow, they got the idea uh, of using Connecticut's Unfair Trade uh, Practices Act and then got a, got a court that was very favorable and, and was very liberal when they interpreted what that law uh, uh, stated. So I doubt that any other state will be able, would come up with that same holding, you know, but you never know what's out there. But you're absolutely right. That was uh, a theory that Bloomberg and his people started introducing in all the state courts, hey, we'll sue the gun manufacturers out of existence. I mean, and like you said, it's like me having too much to drink, getting getting in my Ford, uh, killing somebody, and you're suing Ford for my my criminal act, and that that's something that's ridiculous, and uh, and it should apply evenly across the board. It doesn't matter whether it's a firearm, a car, or what it is. You can't you can't hold the manufacturer responsible for a third party's individual criminal acts. Now, Sean, I'm I'm going to talk negatively about attorneys here, so uh, nothing personal, but. This whole thing struck me as a, as a predatory lawsuit because these lawyers kept coming out and saying, you know, this is not about the money. It's not about the money. But if this is not going to set a precedent, if, if this case is not about finding a way to actually sue manufacturers, I mean, it seems to me this really is about the money. And I can see that attorneys out there are going to start looking through the marketing materials of all kinds of firearm companies, seeing if they can bring other class action suits. I mean, do you see that happening? I agree with you 100. Uh, percent It's about the money. They wouldn't have kept going if they if if they didn't think they had the money because they're not going to push a a losing lawsuit. Uh, that I mean that's just poor business number one. And then number two, when when they found the chink in the armor, so to speak, uh, or somehow discovered that that maybe the court uh, would listen to the Connecticut Unfair Trade Practices Act, that that pushed them a little bit further. But like I said, for years and years and years, they they had loss after loss, and then. All of a sudden, uh, they had the opportunity to to get money from an insurance company from a now defunct uh, um, firearms manufacturer. So you're absolutely right. I, in, in my view, it's about the money. And Biden is out there, of course, you know, cheering them on and saying they hope that they pursue efforts to replicate the success of this in other states. And we'll see if that actually happens. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some other lawsuits or at least people trying to do this. But uh, you know, it's really pre- it's really just predatory, and it always has right. been. It, it always has been, and you know, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> so the other sad thing about this, of course, and this is what's not making it into a lot of these stories: the defunct Remington Company. I, I think a lot of people probably don't know Remington. As I said earlier, just doesn't exist anymore. You know, this was this was an old company started in 1816 up in New York. And Remington, as we know it, does not exist. There's a new company called Rem Arms based in the same place. So they're manufacturing firearms, and it's under the Remington brand. But there's also Remington Outdoors. That was bought up by Vista Outdoors. Mm-hmm. So that's where the ammo is, is going to go. And a bunch of outdoor products sold by them. The Bushmaster Rifle. I guess was bought up by Franklin Armory out in Nevada. And to my knowledge, those are being sold right now. 
and then there's Marlin, a line of lever-action rifles, which was actually purchased by Ruger, which mm -hmm. is really interesting. So all these pieces of Remington are still out there, and if you're not following the news, you probably don't know that Remington's not behind them anymore, but it's, it's all these other companies that are actually using these brands and continuing to sell these products. Well, CZ uh, owns a lot of the plans uh, and manufacturer, some of them, different people bought their muzzleloading division, different people bought their handguns. So you're absolutely right. It was a total breakup. And most, if not all of Remington was purchased in some form and is being recreated. Uh, I mean, he, that, that was part of our ammunition problem. Remington was one of the largest manufacturers of ammunition in America, if not the world. And all of a sudden they went away and, and the demand with all the gun sales and they left the void. And, and I believe uh, the people that purchase that Vista uh, it, it ha has their factory up and running. And then I, I'm also aware of the fact that some of their firearms are currently being produced uh, and a model 700 will be out shortly if it's not out yet. So uh, it, like you said, people didn't realize it wasn't there. So when you say Remington settled, well, no, Remington didn't, the, the insurance companies did. And that was all that was left. You know, it's really sad when you look at the firearms industry, the firearms industry is actually pretty small. That, that's why that uh, federal law was passed to protect them because, it's, you know, it's not like Facebook or it's not like Google or it's not like, um, uh, you know, some of these companies that have super deep pockets. You know, these lawsuits can bankrupt them. And so that, that's why that law was passed. And uh, we've seen since 2005 when that law, when that federal law was passed, we've seen a lot of these companies get gobbled up by larger companies. So it's not a lot of individual companies out there anymore, like Vista Outdoors is a, is a pretty big outfit, and they're buying up all these brands. So there's a lot of consolidation happening out there. And so I'm not sure what that means for lawsuits going forward, but I'm glad that we have that federal law. Otherwise, the firearms industry could have been sued out of existence by now. Well, Dean, and it's the fact that we even need uh, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act is a testament to how the Second Amendment and that constitutional right, the right to keep and bear arms, is treated so much differently than everything else. Whether it's the First Amendment, you know, the Third, the Fourth, the, the Sixth, and the Tenth, uh, it's constantly under attack, has to have special provisions just to protect us uh, from people trying to take that away. And I think it's, um, it's a testament to, to how we have to be vigilant uh, to make sure that the Second Amendment continues to exist for future generations. Well, Sean, the other big story, not quite as big, but I, I find really interesting, is the Alec Baldwin story. It wasn't that long ago that this was in the news. He was uh, filming a movie called Rust. He was one of the producers and also the star of the movie. And he, I want to be careful how I say this because, you know, this is still an ongoing investigation. Allegedly, he pulled a firearm from a holster and shot a cinematographer. She died, and the director was also shot. I guess he was shot in the clavicle because he was standing next to her or right behind her. And so there was a, a, a wrongful death suit that's now been brought against Baldwin, which I predicted he was going to get sued eventually. And so it's against him, the various production companies involved, producers, crew members, and basically everyone suing everyone. And the lawsuit alleges that there were safety violations by Baldwin and others. So I know that you've read some of these stories. What, what are your thoughts on all of this and what it's going to mean for Baldwin and the entertainment business? 
Dean, if the basic rules of gun safety would have been followed, what everybody learns as a child from Eddie the Eagle, from what everybody learns in a basic pistol class or a hunter safety class, if the rules of gun safety or gun handling would have been followed, we wouldn't even be talking about this. Just the fundamental rules of gun safety weren't followed. Uh, you, you point a gun and you pull the trigger uh, at another human being, something that you don't want to destroy, and you have no idea and you haven't personally checked whether the gun is loaded or unloaded. Uh, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, right from the beginning, you know, if Alec Baldwin didn't spend so much time attacking the NRA and trying to to tear the NRA down and just would have took a few NRA safety courses, he would be much better off. In fact, in some of the articles that I read, he basically turned down a cross-gun draw safety training course and basically said, I'm not going to do it, and then didn't use rubber guns or wouldn't use anything else like that, wanted to use the real firearm. So it's a criminal investigation still going on. There's civil lawsuits swirling. And if, uh, if it was anybody else, he probably would already be charged criminally, at least with involuntary manslaughter, which is an unintentional killing as a result of criminal negligence and pointing a gun, not knowing if it's loaded or unloaded at somebody and pulling the trigger certainly is criminal negligence in my view. And then, you know, he's made a couple of different statements. The first statements, he said, I didn't know the gun had live ammunition and I didn't mean for it to go off. And then his next statement was, oh, I didn't pull the trigger. I would never point a gun at anyone and pull the trigger. Well, we all know that uh, it, it takes a trigger pull, especially with the single action handguns he was using. Not only did he have to pull the trigger, but he had to cock the hammer. And then after he cocks the hammer, you're probably only looking at a three pound trigger. So it'd been easy for him to, to pull that trigger and, and cause the problems that he did. And it's a shame for the family. Uh, it's a tragedy. Uh, and hopefully the good that can come out of this is that uh, gun safety on these movie sets or anywhere firearms are being used or purportedly being used, it has to be paramount. You know, it just strikes me as really strange that, you know, in Hollywood, they really don't like guns, you know, because they're always uh, attacking the NRA. They, they claim that, you know, guns are bad and, and people who own guns are bad and all that sort of thing. But you look at the movie posters. Anytime there's a gun... The actor always, always has their finger on the trigger, mm -hmm. and it does not seem that they really promote gun safety, which they should. They wouldn't even have to get political about it. You could just make sure that the finger is in, in the proper spot on the posters and in all the publicity mm -hmm. and in the, in the uh, movies and the TV shows. Do it the right way, but it's never done that way. So that makes me wonder what protocols are actually on the set and how safe they really are. You know, like you said, if the gun is not pointed at someone, you're not going to get hurt. If your finger's not on the trigger, right. you're not going to get hurt. Obviously, this gun was pointed at that cinematographer and the trigger was pulled. I've seen no allegation that the gun was defective in any way. Right. I mean, have you, have you seen that in any of the stories? No, I haven't heard that in any of the stories and I certainly haven't read that. Of course, that's probably going to be what someone's trying to say, and then someone's going to test that firearm, and invariably they're not going to get it to go off, laying on a table by itself, because um, it never does. You know, this isn't the first time you go back to Brandon Lee, and you think you would think they would learn. They make so much money off of firearms in the movies, yet they attack us, the law-abiding gun owners. They truly exist. The majority of movies that portray violence with firearms. That's exactly what they do is, is they use the firearms to make their money, to get the excitement. But like you said, they have no idea what they're doing. 
I often just watch the gun handling so I can stop it and drive my wife crazy and say, see the fingers on the trigger. They're pointing at somebody, all the, all the fundamentals of gun safety that aren't being done. Uh, or, you know, cocking a, a, a striker fired firearm which, with a cocking sound always, always makes me smile. Or, or with shotguns, how many times do they rack it before rack they it. actually uh, shoot somebody? Shoot I mean, somebody. I, I do the exact same thing. And, you know, I try not to be that way because if I'm watching right. a movie, I want to enjoy it. But it's hard not to get past that kind of stuff when they're just obviously being stupid. Well, and they obviously they're not, they're not being safe. And, and that's what this that's what this Baldwin incident has, has taught us. I mean, I can't imagine, I know you can't imagine, and probably the vast majority of listeners who have any firearms experience at all, if we handed them a gun and said, this thing is unloaded, I promise you it's unloaded, I want you to point it at me and pull the trigger, they won't do it. I wouldn't do it, and you wouldn't do it, and I don't think I could do it. I couldn't bring myself to do that. And um, to to turn down safety courses and then to point a firearm at somebody and pull the trigger, not having personally inspected it to know whether it's loaded or unloaded is unexcusable. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, a lot of the statements that have come out on this Baldwin is he's denied responsibility. He said that the gun was handed to him and he was told it was a cold gun, meaning that there's no real ammo in it. He says that he was not responsible for checking the gun. That's just not his job. He said the gun, you know, quote unquote, went off. How many times have we seen that in the newspapers Mm -hmm. where there's an accidental discharge and someone says, well, it just went off. He says he didn't pull the trigger. He didn't aim it at the director. He's making all of these claims. And it just makes me wonder, you know, why wouldn't everyone have responsibility? I mean, you and I both know, as you were just saying, if I hand you a firearm, I'm going to check it and then I'm going to give it to you and you're going to check it. If you give it right back to me, that very moment, you're going to check it again, and I'm going to check it again. I mean, there's a ridiculous amount of safety mm-hmm. that goes into normal protocols if you're doing it right. And why wouldn't they do that on a movie set? Well, and, and they're intentionally, volitionally ignorant. They choose not to learn. They choose not to take a basic pistol class or whatever their gun safety classes are because apparently they're better than the rest of us or for whatever reason. And because they don't have uh, any clue of the safe handling of firearms, they don't realize probably uh, they're ignorant. You know, they're not stupid. They're ignorant on how to handle a firearm and they don't know what they're doing is wrong. Uh, certainly uh, you can't really give them that much of a benefit of the adult because Baldwin knew, I mean, he turned down gun ca- or gun safety training because, you know, he didn't need that. So I think they're yeah. really, uh, the re- Sean, the really damning information. If, if it's being reported correctly, is that it's not just involving Baldwin, but I guess there are these, uh, I'll just call them rumors because, you know, I I don't know what really happened. I'm just reading these news stories. But uh, crew members apparently had lodged complaints previous to this incident and saying that there were uh, as many as 15 different safety violations. They were complaining about real guns being used. They were complaining about real ammo being on the set. All of, the, all of this apparently was happening prior to this accident. And so there are all these different lawsuits going on. I think that's the thing that's really going to get them. It wasn't that just something just happened. There right. was complaint after complaint after complaint that there were other discharges on the set of this movie. So my prediction at this point is that I don't know what's going to happen with the criminal investigation, but certainly with this civil lawsuit my guess is that there's going to be a judgment on this and uh, Baldwin and some of the other producers are going to get dinged pretty hard on this 
because obviously there was there were some pretty bad things going on. Yeah, and I read the same things that there were there were discharges in the past that that members of the crew had walked off the set because it was so unsafe because of the of the firearms. And I think it was such a low budget film. I'm not sure how much insurance they have. So hopefully it goes in the pockets of of people like uh, Baldwin and, and they pay the price for their for uh, their ignorance and for what they did. So now just explain uh, the difference between a civil suit and a criminal suit because right now we're talking about a civil lawsuit. I guess simultaneously there's still a criminal investigation going on, but how do, how do those two things differ? You have the criminal investigation and generally speaking, civil suits won't be filed until the criminal investigation is done because if you're convicted criminally, it's considered on the civil uh, side of things to be negligence per se, which yep, you're, it's negligent. You're guilty of negligence. Now the only question is proximate cause and damages. So you, you go through the, uh, the criminal part portion first, and if they're charged and convicted, then it makes the civil that much easier. But the civil part or the, the criminal part is the violation of the state statutes or federal statutes as it may be. And then uh, there's a trial investigation and a trial based on that. And then it's it's criminal penalties, whether it comes down to probation, in-house arrest, or, or, or actually imprisonment. And then, of course, the civil side of things, it's all about money. You're punishing them by hurting their, their pocketbooks, by trying to uh, make the person whole again, the family of, uh, of, the, of the dead producer whole, so there'll be monetary damages awarded uh, to the family. And then uh, there's lawsuits for uh, infliction of emotional distress for the, some of the crew members that were there. Uh, so we'll end up seeing what happens. And I even saw that there's a lawsuit by the armor against the dummy ammunition manufacturer, alleging that there was mi live rounds mixed in with the dummy ammunition. So everybody's suing everybody. I think a lot of it's going to be in cover. But first, I believe that we'll see if there's going to be criminal charges and then no those will be prosecuted and brought to the end. And then the civil case will take will take over after that. And if they don't decide the no bill or there's no charges filed, the civil cases will, will start up immediately. And, and, and that's where the, uh, uh, the compensation and then, of course, the punitive damages that punish them for what they've done. So what kind of dollar figures could we be looking at in a case like this? Well, you know, it, it's hard to say, but you're probably uh, given Hollywood and given the deep pockets. And if they have the insurance like they should, you're probably looking at uh, hundreds of millions of dollars before it's all said and done. And there can be multiple suits at the same time, right? And it's to, in other words, right. uh, Baldwin could be sued five, six different times, whatever, yep. by different people, and they're all separate cases, right? Absolutely, uh, different actions are being brought, uh, be brought against him, being brought against the movie, and uh, I imagine the armor who was in charge, who's who is there to make sure things are done safety, is going to be sued also at the same time with Baldwin. Baldwin, so everybody will be sued. And again, you're right, Baldwin could be sued by several different people and entities. You know, I'm a big movie fan. I'm at the theater quite a bit. You know, even during this whole pandemic thing, I never let that stop me. I've, I've been there. I've been out to movies when I was sitting there all by myself because everyone else was, you know, out in the park masked up or whatever. And I was still watching movies or whatever movies were still in the theaters. And so I feel really bad that this is going on. And I know that this is going to have an effect on the production of movies. But I have to say that I'm kind of hoping that there's a really big settlement here or a really big win because this is the kind of thing that can change the safety practices in the movies. Of so the industry, I'm, you're absolutely right. right. I mean, because it doesn't seem to me, not that I work in the movie business, 
but it doesn't seem to me that like the, the protocols are strict enough and something like this could really change the entire industry where they become a lot more strict if they're going to use actual firearms in movies. You know, it's all about the money. It comes on there too. And, and if you start hitting Hollywood's pocket, but also they're going to have to get safe and, and it could be done safely. It could be just as realistic. Again, it was the basic fundamentals of gun safety we're talking about. Nothing any more complicated than always keeping the gun pointed in a safe direction and never pull the trigger uh, and, and aim the gun at something you're not willing to destroy. If, yeah. if you, I always tell my students right off when I teach a basic pistol class, if you always keep the gun pointed in a safe direction, it doesn't matter how many other stupid things you do because nobody will ever get hurt. So I understand why they want to use actual firearms if it's a close-up or if they're shooting a gun and they need the recoil and the flash and, and all of that. But, you know, you could use dummy guns for a lot of the, just the basic handling or as a prop and then have an actual firearm only in a few parts of the movie. That could be done to reduce the number of times that you have an actual, what I would call, you know, a live firearm situation where you have to have all these all of these other protocols. So you're right. I think that they could do it if they wanted to do it. And in this film, it looks like they were cutting a lot of corners. Right. So my prediction is that there's going to be some kind of a win here and I'm hoping it's big enough to make a difference and, and they change their protocols. That's how things change uh, by civil suits when, when you make them feel the pain in their pocketbook. And I know Hollywood can do it. I saw uh, Tupac Shakur in a movie a couple years ago, and he's been dead for 15 years. So Hollywood can do anything. Well, Sean, appreciate your being on the podcast. Uh, good luck with your dinner coming up. I, I am going to come down. I've never been there before. I hope a bunch of people sign up, and I'll, I guess I'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks, Dean. That's it for the podcast. If you're not yet a member of Second Call Defense, you can join anytime at secondcalldefense.org. Use the promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to get your first month free. Until next time, this is Dean Reek and Sean Maloney for Second Call Defense. Stay safe.